back to the David Glenn Show. David Cutcliffe of Duke, Dave Clawson of Wake Forest will drop by later. They play each other this weekend. The highlights of the nation, of course, are led by a matchup between number eight Penn State and number two Ohio State. They are two of the eight with the best chance of ending up in the college football playoff. The Buckeyes are 10-0 as they host the Nittany Lions this Saturday at noon on Fox. Our next guest is a former Buckeyes quarterback, now a great analyst for the Big Ten Network, among others. Stanley Jackson, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm great. Glad for having me. Good. Glad you had me. Thank you very much for being here. I know Ohio State can clinch a trip to the Big Ten title game with a win against the Nittany Lions. As we're following all of these stories nationally, it feels like my audience, Stanley, knows Nick Saban's face and his resume. They know Dabo Sweeney's face and his resume. I'm wondering if Ryan Day passed them on the street here in North Carolina, whether they would identify him. Uh, what has made this 40-year-old first-time head coach such a perfect fit so far for the Buckeyes? Yeah, it's funny that you would say that. I'm sure the only place in the country where he would be recognized is Columbus, Ohio, because you have a rabid fan. Right. I, you know, a few things have occurred that have allowed him to have the success he's having. Number one, he's a dynamic coach. He's very good. Uh, everywhere he's been from an offensive perspective, the offense has gotten better. He's a great play caller. But he's also great at building offenses. So, so that's something that he has earned in his own right. But then on top of it, Urban Meyer has done a phenomenal job of recruiting talent. And that talent tends to show up on Saturdays. And so if you have a coach that can put good talent in position to win, then nine times out of ten you're going to have success. And so those two things obviously coming together have allowed him to, to have the amount of success that he has. But when you watch what he does on Saturdays, because you can have a guy that can build an offense and recruit but how does he perform on game day? I mean, I think we've seen a lot of coaches that on game day, when the talent is comparable, they tend to fall apart in tough situations. But on game day, he's spectacular. The way he calls plays, it's a master class most Saturdays. He is definitely playing chess and not checkers. And I think those three components have led him to have the success he has. Because let's be honest about this. Ryan Day should not be the head coach at Ohio State. And it's not based on the fact that he's a great coach. It's based on how Ohio State has gathered coaches over the last few times that they've had to do it. Typically, those coaches have been guys that have come from big programs yeah. that have been head coaches that have either won national championships or Pac-12 championships. So this guy is totally outside of the box, but right place at the right time, and he's doing a hell of a job. We're, of course, used to seeing the Buckeyes play a very high level of football. It is rare, even at any of these super heavyweight programs, that you would be number one in scoring offense, Buckeyes 51-plus points per game, and at the same time, number one in scoring defense at less than 10 points per game. You know the deal here, Stanley. Even LSU had close games against Alabama and Auburn and Texas. Uh, Clemson had that one-point nail-biter here in our backyard against the North Carolina Tar Heels. Even great talent that you just described can't necessarily totally explain an average score of 52 to about 10. Uh, they must be getting the details right as well. And I think of David Cutcliffe of Duke telling me that Alabama not only was incredibly talented when they crushed the Blue Devils earlier this year, he said that the Tide's attention to detail and work ethic uh, was such that it was something he didn't see very often from the schools with the most talent. What's that formula with the Buckeyes on game day? Well, that's where coaching comes in. I mean, because these top programs, all the programs that you've mentioned, 
are recruiting at a very high level. The difference is the programs that maximize the player potential on Saturdays and how that shows up. And when you think about it, right now, Alabama, LSU, they're giving up about eight yards per play. And Ohio State has only given up about eight points a game. And that's significant, yeah. especially from a team that really returned most of the starters from a year ago that historically was the worst defense Ohio State has ever had. But, but I'll say this. I think you have a young coaching staff led by Ryan Day that has a lot to prove. What does Dick Saban have to prove? What does Dabo Sweeney have to prove? What did Urban Meyer have to prove after you win multiple national championships? Nothing. But now Ryan Day is in a position where he's following one of the greatest coaches in Ohio State history, one of the greatest coaches in college football history. So there's so much to prove, and this team is playing with an edge. And I think he's translated that to his coaching staff, bringing in some new coaches on the defensive side, you know, bringing in coaches from Michigan, quite frankly, which you know, for those guys who came in, they have to do well. You can't come down to Columbus, Ohio from Michigan and not do well. And so because of those circumstances, this team has been really sharp every week, including last week against Rutgers. I mean, the defense only gave up – starting defense only gave up seven points, but you still had five starters missing from that defense, and, and they have been outstanding, paying attention to every little detail. You don't see a lot of missed assignments, and I think that's the difference on top of the level of talent that they have. I mean, the two number twos on this football team are as good a guys that I've seen in Ohio State in a long time. Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins, they are setting the stage on fire. And that's why this is a historic team. It's, it's been since 1971. The Nebraska Cornhuskers won 10 games by a point spread of 24 points or more. Well, Ohio State has 10 already. If they can beat Penn State by 24, that would be 11. That would be a record. Stanley Jackson is joining us on the David Glenn Show from the Big Ten Network. To my naked eye, Stanley, and you have more expertise than I do, and this is why I'm deferring to you. To my naked eye, Wisconsin is a heck of a football team, and the Buckeyes not only beat the Badgers, it was 38-7. to To my naked eye, Cincinnati is a 9-1 and football team and in the top 25, and the Buckeyes not only beat the Bearcats, it was 42 to zip. When you think of 9-1 and Penn State, heading to Ohio State on Saturday. Are we are just expecting another avalanche in favor of the Buckeyes, or do you see the Nittany Lions as different enough than Wisconsin and Cincinnati and other good teams that we could have more of a close game? Well, I mean, if you look at the recent history, you would expect a close game. I think the last three games have been decided by one point or two points. Ohio State won two of them. Penn State won one. But, but I think – Things are different this year. And I, I think right now the challenge for Penn State is having consistency on offense. Uh, K.J. Hamler, their top receiver, their big threat guy may be out. So that's going to limit what they can do. And I really believe it comes down to Sean Clifford. How well does he play? If I look at his production in the last four games where he's went 50%, 56%, 56%, 53%, 47% completion percentage, that's not good enough to beat Ohio State and score enough points. And so – I expect Ohio State not only to cover the 19 points, but continue the 24-point spread that they've had all year long. The team is hitting on all cylinders. There are very few weaknesses. The only area right now that Ohio State has struggled, in my opinion, is the punting game. And, you know, you hope that the punter doesn't go out there much. But on top of that, I haven't seen a team yet outside of Clemson that can compete with Ohio State on offense, defense, and special teams. And so I don't think that's going to change this weekend in Columbus. The phrase Ohio State quarterback, or in some cases former Ohio State quarterback, is all over the 2019 headlines. As we speak with former Ohio State quarterback Stanley Jackson, we've got former Ohio State quarterback Joe Burrow at LSU on an undefeated team and leading the Heisman straw polls. We have current Ohio State quarterback, the George 
Georgia's transfer, Justin Fields, with 31 touchdown passes and only one interception. Let me go to Fields first. Uh, he, in transferring from Georgia, needed a special waiver just to be able to play for this year's Buckeyes. Some thought it was because of the weird way his career at Georgia ended. Do we even know whether the racial slur he got from Georgia fans was part of why he was eligible to play right away for the Buckeyes? And beyond that, what have you seen as a former OSU quarterback yourself that has uh, enabled Justin Fields to not only play well right away, uh, but to be a superstar right away? Uh, to answer the first question, it was the racial slur. It actually came from a Georgia baseball player, not fans, um, that allowed him to get the waiver. Yeah, do I think it's a little sticky? Absolutely. But everything the NC2A does is a little sticky, right? There's yep. no rhyme or reason for why one guy gets approved and the other guy doesn't. You know, But for Justin, he was able to get that done. The thing that stands out, there, well, there are a number of things that stands out. Number one, he's an elite athlete. If you go back to his high school days, he only played, he only started 16 games in high school. So it wasn't like he came in as a freshman and was great the whole time. In Elite 11, he carved up Trevor Lawrence twice through that competition and won that overall deal. So he's athletically superior. You can see that when he runs the football. He's strong. It's hard. He's hard to tackle. But the thing that I think stands out is his accuracy. Typically, when you have athletic quarterbacks that run as much as he does, they lack accuracy. Well, not this kid. He can make every throw. His arm is big enough. And then the one question mark coming in was, could he handle the Ohio State offense? Because it does have an NFL swing to it with Ryan Day, who came from the league. Could he handle it in a short time frame to learn enough to have a full grasp and command of it to go out there and perform? And he's been excellent. 31 to 1 ratio. I've never seen anything like that, quite frankly. Now, granted, he's being helped out by an outstanding offensive line, a great run game. They're loaded at wide receiver, but that's not his fault. I've seen a lot of players put in that position that haven't been able to have the production that he has. And so you got to tip your hat to this young man. He's got all the tools necessary, and then he's spending the appropriate amount of time in film study and making sure he understands what Ohio State is trying to get accomplished offensively, and he protects the football. When you have a dominant defense like they do, if you don't put that defense in a bad situation, you're going to win 100% of your games, and he's done a great job of that so far. As the current Ohio State quarterback, Justin Fields, is getting a lot of Heisman votes, the former Ohio State quarterback, Joe Burrow, now at LSU, is actually leading that Heisman vote. So let's ask the other former Ohio State quarterback, Stanley Jackson. Uh, we, We would know the basics, of course. Joe Burrow was stuck behind for a while, JT Barrett, and then Dwayne Haskins. Uh, so that's tough, tough depth chart to get to the top of. What did you see from Joe Burrow at Ohio State? And did anything you saw from him there as a backup give you even an inkling that what he's doing at LSU was possible? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you go back to Joe's days in high school where I think he accounted for 96 touchdowns of very success in the senior year. Very successful career. Uh, he's an Ohio kid. And look, he just got caught up where you had a lot of talent. Yeah. J.T. Barrett is a historic talent at Ohio State. Probably not the best quarterback, but from the standpoint of production on the field, he was special. Then it's followed up by Dwayne Haskins that does nothing but throw for 50 touchdowns. And so sometimes it's difficult to get on the field in some of these programs. I think what kids have to understand is that patience is a key. Number one, Joe handled business academically. He graduated in three years that allowed him to transfer yeah. and have two years of eligibility, not one. Then he got to learn the system. I think down at LSU, they realized how good he was and that they could utilize the talent at receiver and allow this kid to play. He's always been accurate. He's always been intelligent. And he's a big physical guy that can actually run better than most people would think. 
So, yeah, I mean, you expect numbers like this. I don't think you ever expect anybody to be this good. But but I knew he was more than capable. And I think what coaches are going to have to figure out now in this new era of college football is how you continue to recruit your bench. Because now, if you're Georgia, knowing that Fromm is probably going to leave this year, and you're seeing what Justin Fields is doing, you're kicking yourself about that. And even for Ohio State, I mean, you really dodged a bullet because after Dwayne Haskins has this historic run, he goes on to the NFL, there's no guarantee that you get a kid like Justin Fields. Yep. So they got lucky. Had Justin not showed up and then you, you're watching you know, Joe Burrow, an Ohio kid, light it up at LSU, that would have been a, a, a hard pill to swallow for Ohio State. So they got lucky. Coaches have to figure out how to keep these kids patient I think the other story about Joe Burrow for a lot of young kids who are highly recruited coming out, you know, just continue to work because you never know what's going to happen. Everybody doesn't get start as a freshman like Jalen Hurts does. Sometimes you got to wait your turn and earn your way, and when your opportunity comes, you got to strike. Last thing for Stanley Jackson as we all look forward to the biggest game of the college football weekend. It is number eight Penn State, the Nittany Lions nine and one, and still in the conversation for the college football playoff, visiting the number two Ohio State Buckeyes ten and zero. That game is Saturday at noon on Fox. Uh, you get to watch another special talent in your work for the Big Ten Network, among many many others, I guess. But at Ohio State, at least the edge rusher Chase Young comes back from his two game suspension, and it just seems like perfect timing. Right, you, you miss them for two lesser opponents, and now you get them for Penn State and Michigan the week after that. What makes this young man special, and what does it mean to you when you see some folks say that uh, with the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, there are a lot of teams that would take Chase Young of Ohio State as a defensive player over any of these prominent quarterbacks that kick, kicked around as high draft picks? Yeah, I think that's a safe bet, quite frankly. I, even though I played quarterback, I think sometimes the position is highly overrated. And when I watch NFL teams, I mean, I know one thing. You win championships with, with high-caliber defense. And Chase Young, who's potentially a Hall of Fame guy, the thing that stands out is his size and athleticism. He's huge, he's fast, and he's physical. Then he had an opportunity to play with the Bosa brothers and learn a lot from them. And he, So when you watch how he uses his hands, it, it's special. He's another level player. And he's really the definition of a guy that cannot be blocked no matter what you do. You just go back and watch the Wisconsin tape. His offensive line that a lot of people are pretty high on. He destroyed both tackles. He destroyed the center. And he's also a guy that's athletic enough where you can move him around. And Ohio State has even put him at middle linebacker at times. And so his athleticism, his elite speed, his great hands. And on top of it, he's got a great motor. And so, I mean, it's just it's a recipe for disaster for any offensive line that he faces. And now he has fresh legs. So, Penn State's offensive line will be challenged with him. You have to be acutely aware of where he is at all times, and you've got a scheme for him. So what that does, it allows these other playmakers on Ohio State's defensive line to also get out there. Because if you go back to the Maryland game, the first game that Chase Young missed, Ohio State had seven sacks. That's the most they had all season long. So it's just a tough task against this defensive front and he is the guy that that leads the charge no no question about that stanley jackson big 10 network via the ohio state buckeyes Uh, thanks very much for some great uh, insights and expertise on a lot of different things we appreciate your time here on the david glenn show David, I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. You got it. Penn State at Ohio State this Saturday. Of course, other games worth watching, including some in our backyard. Georgia hosts Texas A&M. The Bulldogs need to win to stay that best one-loss resume in the eyes of the playoff committee. Oregon goes to Arizona State, and Utah goes to Arizona. 
you might think that the Ducks and the Utes are just super heavy favorites, nothing to worry about, but you never know on the road against a Sun Devils team that, for example, is 5-5. Five and five. That's a 7.30 game on ABC. Oklahoma needs to keep winning to stay a part of the conversation. The Sooners host TCU, so we'll see if the ranks of the one-loss teams dwindle, as, of course, the ranks of the unbeaten are down to three. Ohio State number two in the polls. Clemson is number three in the eyes of the committee, and the LSU Tigers are number one moving into the weekend. You can join us on the other side with your question or comment. We have two special phone guests still to come. Dave Clawson of Wake Forest. The Deeks still have a shot at the second 10-win season in program history. David Cutcliffe of Duke is actually Coach Clawson's opponent this week. The Blue Devils leader was the national head, national coach of the year back in 2013. We'll talk life sports, football, and Blue Devils with Coach Cut in about 45 minutes. And as we look forward to those special phone guests, we look forward to some special in-studio guests. They are famous in the tailgating world. They just donated, I believe my intel is roughly seven figures, maybe low seven figures. They're the Elon 7 a.m. tailgate guys. They gave so much money to charity that they got the right to be here as VIP guests on the David Glenn Show in studio. They're going to get to go to dinner and meet the lovely and talented Maria a little bit later. That's priceless, basically. And then we're going to take them to the Canes Flyers hockey game tonight at PNC Arena. I'm not sure how much of that was in the VIP package that they purchased in their big donation to charity, but we decided to roll out the red carpet uh, for these guys. David Oakley, David Rich, Brian Martindale, Mike Cross. I believe Stephen Moss is with you guys. Yes, he is from Wilson, Wilson Tire Pros there in Elon. you got to promise me that Susan's coming, right? Steven doesn't even get invited unless Susan's part of the equation. I'm just kidding. These guys are in studio. We're going to have some fun the rest of the way. We look forward to more guests. And since we just mentioned Chase Young of Ohio State, the football guy who got in trouble with the NCAA, you know, his trouble is over now. He has served his two-game suspension. I will visit on the other side at the request of some listeners the college basketball compliance snafu case involving a future NBA star and possible number one overall pick in that sport in the NBA. James Wiseman is a Memphis center, a freshman with the Tigers, and he just had another twist in his long and complicated journey as a newcomer to college basketball. Just got a long suspension from the NCAA, remember, after Memphis essentially defiantly told the NCAA, we're going to play this guy whether you like it or not. Well, I kind of cautioned that that was a bad idea, that in some cases the rules are on the NCAA's side, and sure enough, James Wiseman got a long suspension. A lot of the NCAA critics didn't like the length of that suspension or the details. You can jump in with your question or comment. I'll offer my two cents on that. Canes hosting the Flyers tonight and other NHL. The most important things and interesting things I saw in the NBA over the last 24 hours, you're welcome to jump in on that if you like. 1-800-849-2761. Duke is back on the court tonight. Carolina got another win last night, and the NCAA Memphis situation continues to unfold. The Wolfpack is a Georgia Tech in college football as week 13 continues this evening. And at the NFL level, week 12 kicks off tonight with some familiar faces. Jacoby Brissett and the Colts visiting Deshaun Watson and the Texans. The winner will be 7-4 and four and the leader in the AFC South, meaning well-positioned for this year's playoffs. More on that matchup and the other best of the NFL weekend to come. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can join us next on the David Glenn Show. 
if my low and away curve that barely paints the black so frequently that nobody can hit it, you're going to tell me I got to throw change-ups, fastballs, and sliders all the time? Oh, it's too difficult to hit TTG's <laughs> low and away curveball. Wah, 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 wah. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. One thing I promised, and then you can jump in on the NFL, college football, college basketball, NBA, or NHL headlines of the day. I have the Canes on my mind. We're headed to that matchup against the Flyers after today's show. I have college hoops on my mind. Saw the Tar Heels beat Elon last night, eventually. Number one Duke back at Madison Square Garden for a doubleheader tonight against Cal, tomorrow against either Georgetown or Texas. The Wolfpack is on the field tonight in college football. Football State needs a win at Georgia Tech just to have a chance to be bowl eligible at the end of the regular season. And the NFL's Week 12 continues or actually kicks off tonight at the pro level with some familiar faces, Jacoby Brissett and Indianapolis at Deshaun Watson. And Houston, the winner, will be the new AFC South leader with a record of 7-4. and four. More on those things with more of your phone calls, including the question of the day. If you're just joining us, it's on the NFL. 13-year veteran safety Eric Weddle played the last three seasons for the Baltimore Ravens. He's now with the L.A. Rams. On Monday night, the Rams host the Ravens in a league where his basically standard that you pick the brains of guys on your roster who used to play for your upcoming opponent, Eric Weddle, who is a universally well-liked guy by his teammates and coaches, went in the other direction and said, I'm not telling y'all, meaning my Rams teammates, I'm not telling y'all any secrets about the Baltimore Ravens. Some don't like that because if you picture being the L.A. Rams owner, you're paying Eric Weddle $10 million over the next two years. If you had to boil down what you're paying him to do somewhere on that list and indeed high on that list would be helping my team win football games. Eric Weddle said he cherishes his three years with the Ravens so much that he would feel like a backstabber. If he shared info about his former team with his current team, quote, what kind of man would I be if I just turned my back on all of those guys in Baltimore? What would you expect if you were the Rams head coach, Sean McVay, or the owner of the team? You can tell us at 1-800-849-2761. We do have lines open with Will and Sam receiving your calls. Meanwhile, by the way, little side note on that, the Ravens cornerback Marcus Peters not only is a former Ram he played for the Rams earlier this year. Remember, that was a midseason trade. So the better in intel that theoretically you would get would be a guy who was with your upcoming opponent earlier this year. Now, Marcus Peters has not said what he would share, what he wouldn't share, secrets about how the Rams played defense earlier this year or their tendencies, secrets about Todd Gurley usage or Jared Goff as a quarterback. He could share whatever he wants. Again, there are no NFL rules preventing you from telling your current team about your former team. Marcus Peters has not been public about how he's going to approach things. Eric Weddle has said, I'm not selling out my former team, and I don't care who doesn't like it. You can be next with your question or comment at 1-800-849-2761. As Darren and I welcome the Elon 7 a.m. tailgate crew, the big tailgate Big tailgate tour, tailgate of the year honorees of a few years ago. You guys have also been tailgate of the week honorees like five times at least. I mean, it's old hat for them. They do have the big banner that goes with the tailgate of the year. We're taking David Oakley and David Rich and Brian Martindale, who are on my side of the glass, 
uh, and Mike Cross, who is not yet here, as well as Stephen Moss, who's on Darren's side of the glass from Wilson Tire Pros there in Elon. We're taking these guys out to dinner, showing them how sports radio works, David Glenn Show style, and taking them to the hockey game tonight. So who knows when we might turn over one of the microphones to these guys as we welcome your calls and look forward to David Cutcliffe of Duke and Dave Clawson of Wake Forest. So the one thing I promised was on the Memphis basketball player, James Wiseman. I know most people are critics of the NCAA to one degree or another, and I, I really do get it most of the time. Most of you know me well enough to know that I kind of divide the NCAA questions into two categories. If you don't like the way the rules are, I get it. That's a separate debate than how should the rules be enforced once they're written down. And remember, people often forget this. These rules are voted in by your schools. Sometimes you get mad at nameless, faceless people as you picture them smoking cigars somewhere in a basement at headquarters in Indianapolis. There are no ghosts who make up these rules. The rules that you probably hate the most in college athletics probably were voted on by your favorite school. And yeah, they had a vote. They had a voice in the room. In some cases, they proposed the rule that you ended up hating. So in many cases, you're mad at not some nebulous NCAA or some nameless, faceless NCAA. In many cases, you don't even realize it. You're mad at your favorite school for voting in a certain piece of legislation. Whereas Chase Young, the football superstar at Ohio State, has served his two games. He took money from an agent to pay for a trip to California for his girlfriend when the Buckeyes were in a bowl game. That violates your amateur status. That puts you in jeopardy. Ohio State found out about it, so what do you do? You declare your athlete ineligible, and then you petition for reinstatement. What ends up mattering? Well, who'd you take the money from? In that case, it was an agent. Uh, how much money did you take? I don't think they released the exact number, but it was in the low thousands of dollars. Whatever it would cost you to put up your girlfriend in Southern California as the Buckeyes are playing in the Rose Bowl, I think it was. So a few thousand dollars, whatever. Yes, the length of your suspension is tied, one of the factors, to how much money you took. So Chase Young only got a two-game suspension, and it's really not going to slow down the Buckeyes at all as this guy is on his way to perhaps, as Stanley Jackson from the Big Ten Network told us, number one overall status in the NFL draft. That scandal is over for Ohio State, and that scandal is over for Chase Young. He did his time, in air quotes. He's back with the Buckeyes. He's going to turn pro. He's going to become a mega millionaire. The Buckeyes really weren't hurt by missing him for a couple of games. Certainly no NFL team is going to think less of Chase Young because he just made an error in judgment and took money he wasn't supposed to take to set up his girlfriend at a bowl game. There's a new version, perhaps, of the NCAA coming where superstar players like Chase Young could take money for autograph signings or the video games that want to pay them for their name and likeness and image and all that stuff, then he would have had the thousands of dollars to send his girlfriend to California himself, and he wouldn't have had to have his hand out for the agent. But that debate, again, is kind of on the back burner. That debate is for down the road as the NCAA promises to tweak its amateurism model, but it hasn't tweaked it yet, right? So now James Wiseman, unlike Chase Young, and wouldn't it be interesting if these two guys – both major headaches with the NCAA. Wouldn't it be interesting if James Wiseman is the number one overall NBA pick and Chase Young is the number one overall NFL pick, just as the NCAA is debating how much it has to change its amateurism rules? They would end up being forever kind of symbols 
yeah, if they had the right rules in place at the time, I wouldn't have had to have my handout or my family wouldn't have had to have my, their handout. James Wiseman's case was more complicated because, A, he took more money. His family took, it was $11,500. B, they took the money from the guy who ended up being James Wiseman's head coach, Penny Hardaway, the former Memphis superstar basketball player, now the Memphis head coach after all those years in the NBA and then as a coach on the AAU circuit and at the high school level. James Wiseman even played for Penny uh, prior to being at Memphis, and that complicated things a little bit more as well. A lot of folks were upset when they read that James Wiseman got not a two-game suspension like uh, Chase Young, but ended up with a suspension of about a dozen games or so, depending on whether you're counting those that are already kind of time-served. Does that sound like an outrageous number? That's uh, not quite half of your regular season, but it's a big chunk. He has to miss 10 more games, according to the NCAA, with his penalty. And then some folks really rolled their eyes when part of the penalty was that James Wiseman, remember a guy whose family had so little money that they needed 11 grand plus from Penny Hardaway to find the funds to move to Memphis, where they wanted to play high school basketball and where they wanted to settle the family. Now James Wiseman, as part of his penalty, has to pay a charity of his choice $11,500. Now, I don't know the answer to how James Wiseman is supposed to come up with $11,500. And according to this statement by the NCAA and the school, he's got to pay it to a charity of his choice by the end of his eligibility with Memphis. If you're poor enough that you can't move without $11,500 from somebody else, you're probably still poor enough that you can't donate $11,500 to a charity of your choice. Soon as the guy is out of Memphis, some agent can give him $11,500 you know, in a heartbeat. How he pays that while an amateur athlete at Memphis, I don't know the answer to that, and I don't claim to. The reason, though, for the long suspension, and this is what gets back to the kind of the two different arguments. If you're saying the system should be different, I agree with you. But once the rules are in place and we're stuck with the system that we have, you can't take that much money and expect it to not be a long suspension. It's not as simple as just a chart. If you took 2,000, you get missed this games, this many games. If you took 5,000, you missed this many games. But it is a factor. There, there's actually like a sliding scale. And the NCAA says, oh, you took 11,500 or your family did? That's a longer suspension. It's actually almost as basic as math. Chase Young took a few thousand, so he missed one-sixth of his regular season. 12 regular season games, he missed two. He missed 17% almost of his regular season. James Wiseman's family didn't just take a couple thousand. They took 11,000 plus. Well, it's going to be a higher percentage of games. There was nothing surprising to me. Again, be mad at the system. Be mad that you don't like the rules. But I've been warning you that Memphis telling the NCAA essentially to go screw itself, Memphis figuratively flipping the bird to the Indianapolis headquarters and playing James Wiseman while being told he is an ineligible athlete, I tried to warn you, it's not going to end well for Memphis. And Darren, we might as well have intermediaries to Memphis. Think of the money we could have saved them, either the Wiseman family or Memphis more generally. 
Do you know what Wiseman's attorneys were arguing a week or two ago before they finally decided to stop playing this guy and try to work to, with the NCAA? Wiseman's attorney's argument, one of their legal arguments was they didn't think Penny Hardaway fit the traditional definition of a booster at the time he gave the family $11,500. Now listen, I don't know how well-trained those attorneys are in other aspects of their legal career. As somebody who practiced law for 17 years, I would never take a shot at parts of their resume that I know nothing about. Maybe they're great at A, B, C, D, E, and F in the legal world. And if so, great. I celebrate them for that. I am not going to pause or hesitate, given that this is within my area of expertise, to tell you that it is borderline malpractice as an attorney to suggest, listen, you don't need to be, you don't even need to be smart, much less have a law degree to understand this part. If you knew nothing else, and I said, what do you think a booster is? What do, you, what do you think makes somebody a booster? What would be the first things that you say? You've never seen the NCAA rulebook. You've never studied NCAA compliance issues as I have. You don't have a law degree. You didn't practice law. I don't care. I don't care. All of you, 100% of you, are smart enough to at least start thinking along the right lines. If you knew nothing about the NCAA's definition of a booster, might you think that one of the things might be that you donated to the school? I, I, it would come up pretty early. So Penny Hardaway, as it turns out, has donated seven figures to Memphis. Might, might you be a booster simply because you played for a university? It's possible, but that would be on our list, right? If we were just thinking out loud, right? No penalties for wrong answers. Let's just try to take an intelligent approach to this. What is a booster? Is, are all grads... Just because you graduated from a place, are you automatically a booster? I wouldn't expect everybody to know every answer to every question. I would expect everybody to know, and certainly if you're, you're claiming to be an attorney with expertise in NCAA compliance issues, that former Memphis basketball superstar Penny Hardaway probably is a booster, and a seven-figure donation probably qualifies you as a booster as well. Seriously. I'll save you the time. Yeah, it's all in the rule book. You fit the definition of a booster in about 10 different ways. When I read that the Wiseman family was getting that kind of advice, I knew they were in big, big trouble. We should have saved them thousands of dollars, Darren. Don't stare down with the NCAA unless the rules might be on your side. None of the rules are on your side here. Penny Hardaway's a booster. James Wiseman's family took that money. Is it in the NCAA rules that he gets off the hook if he didn't know that his family took the money? Whether you like it or not, no. In the rules, it doesn't matter whether the athlete knew or not. Imagine if that was in the rules, all moms and dads and uncles and aunts would have their hands out as long as the athlete could say, you know, I didn't see, I don't know, I don't know, hands over eyes, you know, fingers and ears. You know, then it would be even harder for the NCAA to enforce such things. The reality is Memphis had a losing case all along. And whereas, what were some of the phone calls we got saying? Why don't they just lawyer up the way UNC got itself off the hook? Do you know what's different? UNC, regardless of what you think about it, UNC's lawyers knew that what they did wrong 
with the AFAM scandal was a really complicated fit for NCAA rules. Now, you might say that's ridiculous, it smells bad, it looks bad, and you might not even be wrong. Maybe you wish the NCAA rules were a better fit for that kind of a, a scandal that allowed so many athletes to take such ridiculous classes and get such bogus high grades for very little to no work, etc. You'd be right philosophically, but the lawyers were right when they said, why should UNC lawyer up? Because these rules are a lousy fit for this wrongdoing. Sure enough, UNC lawyering, lawyering up paid off. But you're not blindly lawyering up. You don't just say, I'm in trouble, so I better fight the NCAA. No, a smart lawyer or compliance expert's going to tell you, only lawyer up if you think you have an interpretation of the rules that saves your tail. Carolina's lawyers knew they had an interpretation that saved their tail. Memphis never had a single hook to hang their hat on. If you hate the rules, I don't blame you. But if you're surprised that James Wiseman has to deal with a long suspension, he's out 12 games, he won't be eligible until mid-January against South Florida. They, they didn't, by the way, just let him off the hook. When Memphis played him and he shouldn't have played, well, that's why they added those games to the end. So they did their math. Okay, his family took this much money, that's going to be this many games. And then they said, hey, Memphis was playing this dude even though we told them not to. So, yeah, we're going to add those games at the end of the suspension. You can be mad, and you're not crazy for being mad. If you didn't see this coming, it's because you didn't understand the rules. Whether you like those rules or not, again, is another matter for another day. 1-800-849-2761. David Cutcliffe live in about 20 minutes. Dave Clawson, his opponent on Saturday, live in about 45 minutes. The Elon 7 a.m. tailgate crew is in the house. You can be next with your phone calls. Wolfpack at Georgia Tech and other college football. Carolina over Elon and other college basketball. The Duke Blue Devils' number one basketball team is back on the court tonight at Madison Square Garden. The Canes and the Flyers, the only two hockey teams I've ever cared about, play each other tonight at PNC Arena. And the most important or interesting things I saw in the last 24 hours of the NBA. Those are among the topics that we're discussing today. Of course, all day, every day, we kick around NFL and college football, too. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket in to the David Glenn Show. Ruffin McNeil, welcome back. I know we'll always be a huge part of you and your family. You know, this will be my last coaching stop after this. Yeah, maybe join you in a radio show or Amen. do some of that. Yeah. We'll, but, be, we'll uh, be doing some remote shows from your boat in the middle of the Caribbean somewhere <laughs> if I have my way. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. A rarely discussed but undeniable truth about the nature of college football. Are you ready for this, Darren Vaughn? As we look forward to David Cutcliffe of Duke on life, sports, football, and his Blue Devils. Dave Clawson of Wake Forest. We already had a great visit with Stanley Jackson of the Big Ten Network on the college football weekend that awaits us. I don't know if I've ever gone down this road in your four years with me. A rarely discussed but undeniable truth about the nature of college football as Wake hosts Duke this weekend. What do those two schools have in common in your eyes? Right out of the gate. High academic There standards. you go, before you even get into the sports, right? Yeah. Those are not only high academic universities, they are private universities. And I'm telling you this, out of all the things that otherwise educated college football fans, uh, out of all the things that they can occasionally forget, this is probably the most frequent one on the list. 
as you look around the country, give me all the recent examples you have of high academic private universities winning national championships in college football. Go ahead. Just just keep spitting them out left and right. All the big time private universities with high academics that win national titles in that sport. You just I'll just uh, sit back there and you just keep spitting them out until you're entirely done. I, I grabbed the U.S. News and World Report list. Y'all would not be surprised to hear Stanford is the number one FBS football level playing uni- university. Northwestern is second. And I thought of this because Duke is playing Wake Forest this weekend. Small, I think Wake is the smallest private university playing FBS-level football. So Stanford is the, the highest academic school playing FBS football. Northwestern is second. Duke is third. Notre Dame is fourth, according to U.S. News and World Report. Vandy is fifth. Rice is sixth. Then you get to UCLA, the Cal Bears, Southern Cal, Michigan. Not all these are private, obviously. Wake Forest, UVA, Georgia Tech, UNC. Those are the only – so I looked at the top 30. What was that? About a dozen I just said. So 18 don't even play FBS-level football because the academics make it too tricky to be a consistent winner at that level. So those dozen out of the top 30 academic schools at least try. Any recent national championships among those? And you know who's often really, really bad? like Northwestern in the Big Ten, and Vanderbilt, typically the worst of the SEC, and Rice near the bottom, and Cal frequently, and a lot of these others as well. Just keep that in mind when you take a glance at the college football playoff committee's top 25 or the college football playoff later this season. We're back after this on the David Glenn Show. Davo Sweeney, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Yeah, How man. are you, man? Good to see you. It's great to How see you. Been? I saw that you took your family to Italy. It was unbelievable to go to Rome and to stand at the Coliseum that was built in 80, <laughs> 80, <laughs> 80 <laughs> the original Death Valley, you know, literally. This is the David Glenn Show. Like NC State and Carolina, Duke has to win out to make a bowl. David Cutcliffe on life, sports, football, and his Blue Devils as they head to Wake Forest next on the David Glenn Show. Throwback Justice League. You know, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, Aquaman. If there was a combine event where you had to talk to marine life, Aquaman is your guy. Zay Jones is dominating the three-cone drill. Aquaman is dominating the talk-to-porpoises drill. This is the David Glenn Show. 